Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Don't stand just yet. I'm going to review a couple of things this morning, then we'll stand and read the scripture. Uh, the last couple of times that I've preached on Sunday mornings, um, it's been a, a few times over the last couple of weeks, few weeks, um, we've been talking about um, the church, the local church. And the first time we were in Ephesians chapter 5, and the idea is that Christ loves the church, do you? And that Jesus Christ died for the church, and we ought to be committed to the church because he died for the church. And, uh, you know, the truth is we receive great benefits. The, the pictures in that passage is there's a bride on one hand and a body on the other hand. Both of them are pictures of the church. And the bride receives great benefit by being the bride. Uh, the, the groom takes care and sacrificially gives. So we receive a lot by being the bride of Christ. But as the body, a body is meant to function. So we don't just receive benefits, we actually benefit the body ourselves. That we, per, we contribute and give to the body as a part of the body. And then to carry that idea, the last time, a couple weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 12, we looked out how every member matters. And how we all have a place in the body. God places people in the body as it hath pleased him, the Bible says. So if you're part of Eastside Baptist Church, God put you here for a reason. You are here on purpose, and therefore, you have a function on one hand. You have a responsibility. On the other hand, it's not a small thing than to pull yourself out of the body and not be engaged or involved, because God has a place for you in the body. And if you don't fill your spot, the whole unit suffers. I showed you a picture of the game Jenga, which causes great anxiety uh, if you're playing it, because if that tower falls on your turn, you lose. But on the, the truth is, the way that a body should function is when the, the Jenga game is all complete. It's just a tower, but one part gets pulled out here, another part gets pulled out here, and suddenly there are enough pieces that the body suffers, and eventually if enough pieces disappear, the whole thing falls over. And so we have an important role to play in the church, and today's message continues that emphasis that your attachment to a local church matters. Membership matters commitment matters and the first church at jerusalem that started that jesus christ himself started had some characteristics that i think can help us with some of these concepts let's stand and read acts chapter 2 we'll begin our reading down in verse 41 now just for context sake uh, this is after peter has preached on the day of pentecost and we'll get back to this at the end but peter preached jesus christ he preached about Christ. He said, you must repent of your sin. You must be cleansed of the remission of your sin so that you can be right with God and made whole. And then, after the preaching of Jesus Christ, then once they heard the preaching, notice the order, verse 41. It says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And there's the order of salvation and baptism right there, folks is that you hear the preaching of Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as a result of hearing the Word of God, then the Bible says, after that, then they that gladly received His Word are baptized. And so you get saved, then baptism is a follow-up to salvation as a public testimony that Jesus did something for you in your heart. And so just understand baptism is important but baptism is not part of the salvation process. It is letting other people know that you've been saved. And then it is also then aligning yourself with a local church body of doctrine. 
And so those two things happen at baptism. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And I don't want to get into all of this too much. But that word added unto them implies there was a church already in existence. There's a church that already existed, that first church of Jerusalem. And then these folks that got baptized were made part of that church at Jerusalem. They were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And by the way, I wouldn't mind adding 3,000 souls to Eastside Baptist Church today. We'd have to have about 14 services, but I think we could do that to fit everybody in. It says, verse 42, Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And in, just notice all the things that took place. And in breaking of bread and in prayers... And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. I'm not going to preach that this morning, um, that you have to sell everything and give it all to the church. This is a point in time in that culture. It was different for them. Uh, we don't preach, this is not a commandment, this is what was necessary. If you think about what was happening in that first church, these Jews were getting saved, stepping away from their families, and basically being cut off from everything. And so their family became the church family. And that's the idea, and we're going to be talking about that more, just so you don't think I'm telling you you have to sell your house and give it to the church. I'm not saying that this morning. And it says, um, and verse 45, I'll read it again. Sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meal with their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, there's the word again, added to the church daily such as should be saved. So when you read about this first church, it becomes evident that they were more than just acquaintances. They were family. And folks, the church is family. And if you get nothing else today, I want you to get that phrase, the church is family. And I'd like to get that thought this morning. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Lord, we need your help. pray that you bless the reading of your word. And I pray that you'd help our church family this morning. To be reminded of the benefits and the help they get by having a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I, I was preaching out of Ephesians 5. And I talked about this idea of a word, this term called gamophobia. And gamophobia comes, does anybody remember the Greek word? It's gamos. Does anybody remember what that word means? It's a Greek word for what? Anybody remember? I don't expect you to remember. Okay, it means marriage. Okay, so gamophobia is not the fear of marriage. So some of you in here may have that this morning. It's not what I'm talking about. No, gamophobia, uh, marriage, the Greek word for marriage, gamophobia. Now, if you talk about marriage, you talk about commitment, right? So commitment is the idea behind marriage. So I think it's a very appropriate term than to say gamophobia is the fear of commitment. And we live in a culture. ...that is afraid of commitment. Uh, most of Gen Z, which were those born in the mid-90s... ...to I think about 2012... Um, they, ...they make up about 30% of the world's population now... ...and there's a fear of commitment 
and those that were born around that time. Now, they don't have an issue committing to a cell phone bill or a cell phone payment or an internet provider. Uh, there are certain things they don't have a fear of commitment for. But when it comes to committing to something big, there is a fear of commitment in that generation. And, and I don't know if, if that translates. I think it probably does, especially when you think about all of those in our culture that are afraid of committing to a church these days. I don't think it's just Gen Z. So those of you that are Gen Z, I'm not blaming you. I think the trends were set before you got here. And that a local church has taken a back seat to baseball games on Sundays and, and activities on Sundays and everything else. When, when church about the Lord on his day were meeting to glorify him and yet the ball fields are much fuller than Eastside Baptist Church today. And so there's a trend in our culture to step away from the church. There's a fear of commitment to church. And there's a lot of reasons for it. I think probably what I just mentioned is a big reason that people are busy. But you also hear a lot of other reasons. You say, why won't you commit to a local church? And, you, and there are people that would say things like, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And, and, and that's a classic reason. You've heard it. Um, how many of you at e, members of Eastside have ever been around a hypocrite at church? Okay, I think all of us probably, I know that's judgmental. I'm not saying be judgmental. I'm just saying where anybody that's been in church for any length of time, I don't know why my wife looked at me when, when I asked that question. Anybody that's been at church for any length of time knows, yeah, there are going to be people that aren't sincere at church. There are going to be people that aren't, that aren't who they're supposed to be at church, just like there are hypocrites everywhere you go. But be careful, though, of assuming a church won't have people with problems. As a matter of fact, people are as human in churches as they are everywhere. And sometimes people in church have real problems. And you may have known some of those. And it could be that the people with real problems are more likely to be in church because they know they need the help. So be careful of assuming that because there are broken people in a church, that that church is full of hypocrites. A broken family may have come to the point where they say, we can't fix ourselves outside of ourselves. We need something bigger to help us. We're going to be in church. And, you know, a broken family understands that more than a moral, upstanding family will. And so church, now there are people that are mature in Christ and, and they do things the right way. We've got a church full of people like that too. And I'm thankful, but don't assume everyone is a hypocrite just because you come across a few broken people. The truth is churches are full of broken people. And we're here because we know there's no fix for it except for Jesus Christ. We hear people say, I've been hurt in church. And I, I, it's unfortunate. It happens. People get gossiped about. People get slandered. Sometimes people get forgotten about. It sometimes people get up and make an announcement about the per work this person did and this person served and somebody gets left off the list. It happens all the time. Uh, unfortunately, it's not on purpose, but it happens. If you've been in church for any length of time, then you know that you, you have been hurt at some point. You've likely been talked about, you've likely been forgotten, you've likely had somebody get upset at you, you've had your feelings hurt, you may have even been wronged. But I understand this, that Jesus' response to hurt was not isolation. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that we ought to take steps in Matthew 5 to reconcile those relationships. 
his concept, his idea, his new righteousness was not, hey, if you've been hurt, cut and run. No, his idea was, if you've been hurt, make things right so that you can move forward with, forward with that, that relationship. You reveal your Christ-likeness that when you get hurt, rather than leaving, you take steps to fix it. Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, be good to them that, or pray for those that hurt you. Be, uh, bless those that despitefully use you, he said. Unfortunately, we live in a walkaway culture, don't we? And maybe it's the fact that we're in a cancel culture. Every, and as, as soon as something happens, I don't like, you're canceled. And it seems like we've gone to the extreme. That is an unbiblical and ungodly way to live. Because if somebody ever does something wrong to you and you write them off and cancel them, that's not like Jesus Christ. He, he seeks to reconcile. He seeks to restore relationships. So don't just walk away. Be willing to forgive. If we had that kind of spirit in our churches, we'd have fewer people leaving over small issues. Be a peacemaker. Be forgiving. You say, well, some people say, well, I, just, I, I can just watch services online. That's why I've taken a step back. Listen, I'm thankful for the great work um, done by our live stream team up there. Um, we've come a long way when we didn't have live stream, when COVID happened. And Mark Griebel's a miracle worker, I'll just say that. Um, the thought is appealing, though. Think about it. Coffee in one hand. Bible in another. Comfy jammies. Can I say that? I may have just given you my man card there. Comfortable houseware in the coldest part of winter, a recliner instead of these pews, you get to set the temperature. Some of you are like, you just talked me into it, Pastor. Hey, I'm not trying to convince you of it. Maybe I should have not sold it as well. No, here's the problem with that thought process. If you're a child of God, you cannot deny the Bible's message that you were meant to grow as part of a community of believers. And the last thing that you need to do, I think COVID taught us this, the last thing we need is isolation from other believers. We need each other. Uh, Ephesians 4 says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, you were meant to grow in a community of believers. That is God's plan for your life. And I can say it this way, it is God's will for you as his child to be a part of a church family. And you say, how can you tell me God's will for me? It's God's will for everybody. That's his plan for you. And so to remove yourself from that design is to limit your life for God. And you say, well, the Bible never says to thou shalt join a church. And you're right, it doesn't. Because when the, these folks were writing, when, when Paul was writing and the epistles and all of these other uh, books and letters from Peter and those things, those specific words are not mentioned there. But, but the concept is all throughout the New Testament. The, uh, the church membership is implied through the pictures of the bride and the body. We already talked about that. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul never says, thou shalt become a member because of this or that. No, he says, this is who you are. You are members in particular. Meaning there is not even a question about whether or not a child of God attaches himself to a local church. It's, it's understood. It's, it's, it's implied, but almost explicitly implied, if you want to say it that way. 
I mean, if a hand isn't doing its job, the whole body suffers. If the eye isn't working, the whole body suffers. Not only that, uh, if one part suffers, all suffer. If one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. Listen, you cannot do that in isolation. And it's the reason that going to the mountains to worship the creator... I don't know why I'm pointing where are mountains. Way over that way, probably. That's why going to the mountains somewhere... As, as good as that can be at times, sometimes you just need to get away and detach. But, but when you detach from the body of Jesus, there are benefits that you no longer receive. It's kind of like the old campfire illustration. I'm sure you've heard this before. I, I, love, I, I love camping. I should say I like the idea of camping. It's always a lot more fun when you're packing than it is when you're cold or rained on or the tent blows over or whatever. But... But there's a rule, it's, it is, I think it's a rule in the camper's guideline, it is illegal to camp without building a fire. Okay, that's, that's the rule, I believe. Middle of summer, doesn't matter. If you're camping, you've got to have a fire. And if there's a fire, us pyros, you know where we're going we're to be, right? And when I was a kid, I could not stay away from the fire. I, if I had a stick, I mean, I'd find a stick, doesn't matter how long, I'm going to have a stick in the fire, and I would get in trouble for that at times, but that's what you do. There's a fire, you want to be around it. But if you ever take a, a coal or an ember out of the fire and set it by itself, you've heard this before, you set it by itself, how long does it take? It doesn't take long for the ember to turn from red to black and for the heat to go from hot to cold. Because that ember is now by itself, it's not being helped by the heat and the passion and the fire of everything else in that fire pit. Listen, that's what happens when you isolate yourself from a community of believers. And that's what Satan wants. See, he wants to separate us. Have you ever watched the wildlife shows, the wild kingdom or those kinds of things? And, and it, you know, what are the predators hope? What are they looking for? They're looking for that one animal in the pack to get off by itself so they have an easy target. Listen, there is something significant and protective about you staying close to the body of believers that God has placed you in. It's a help to you. So your presence brings a benefit to the body. But let's not ignore the fact that your presence brings a benefit to the body. And the body helps you. You help the body. And Acts 2 is the biblical account of the first New Testament church here. It was in existence already, as we mentioned, before Jesus Christ, or as Jesus Christ was on earth. I believe that he started that first church because of the language that we see right here in Acts 2. And I mean, Matthew chapter, if you read other portions of scripture, Matthew chapter 16, they're talking about, uh, you know, if, the, if someone is doing wrong and you go see them, they won't hear it. You take them, take somebody from the church, uh, you get the church involved in church discipline. I mean, why is Jesus talking about the church if the church didn't start till the day of Pentecost? I mean, it was in existence. I believe Jesus Christ started it and, they, and, and it became a force to be reckoned with. Here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit um, empowers the church. Peter gets up and preaches this message about Jesus. And you start then to see, though, the real sense of community. And if you don't wonder, if you wonder about whether or not the church is important, read the book of Acts. I mean, the local church is all through this book. This is really where it took off. And the terminology here, we already read it, it's added. Twice it says added. There was a community in existence being added to. 
They were coming together. They were joining together. They were sharing resources. They were encouraging each other. This is the picture of the church as a family. We, we know that it's a body. We know it's a bride. But folks, the church is also a family. There's sharing. There's supporting. There's helping. There's truth being spoken when you need it. That's considering others before yourself. There's a community. And if you're not attached to a local church body, you are missing out on family. There are great options online. There are better preachers than me. But you miss the relationships if you choose to watch a screen and that replaces your church family. You don't have someone to love you and pick you up when you're struggling if you don't attach yourself to a church family. It's family. But as many as received him, John 1, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. It's family terms. At salvation, if you are saved, you're part of the family. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. And remember, Paul's talking to a local church. Uh, you're not there, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Think about all the house or family terminology. And of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building... Fitly framed together, growing unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Uh, a local church is a picture of a house, of a family, of people coming together and supporting each other. Paul's talking to one church in Ephesus, and he's saying, you're the household of God. You're part of the family. You work together. You support each other. A family lives in a house together. When you join a church, you get more than church. You get more than your name on a roll. You get more than a Sunday school teacher. You get more than a gift bag. You get a family. The church is family. And you receive the same family, the same things that a family receives. Even a healthy family, every healthy family has certain traits. When you're in a healthy family, for instance, I'm just going to give you a few traits I see here out of Acts chapter 2 that are, that are corresponding to church and family. When you are in a healthy family, you get to enjoy headship. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you all three right now, then we'll explain it. You get headship, you get fellowship, and you get partnership. When you're part of a church, a healthy family has headship. For instance... Here we see in verse 42, um, at verse 40, uh, yeah, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So, in other words, there were those there that, that were in authority over the others. There were those there that were setting the tone. And, and you, the apostles, I don't believe the apostle is a functioning role anymore, in a functioning office, I should say. The apostles were those who saw Jesus Christ with their own eyes. And I believe that the, the role of the apostles is now done um, because uh, even Paul was an apostle because he saw Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. But the, the, the role of apostle is no longer functioning. But in this first church, the apostles, they were the lead. They were the authority. They had authority and leadership and the church followed their doctrine. There was a clear authority structure. The church still has an authority structure. 
And in a world in which individualism seems to be the highest virtue and no one likes to be told what to do, when it comes to talking about church authority, man, people are, man, they don't like to hear it. Many churches are made up of people over here doing what they want, over here doing what they want, over here, over here. No one can, can invade that little kingdom in the corner of the building. But let's remember the picture of the family. A family has a structure of authority too. See, Jesus Christ, the husband, the wife, children. And I know that is not popular, but the healthiest families embrace their roles. I believe the reason that our, uh, many families in our country are in a mess is because somewhere along the line, somebody said, I don't like my role, and they started trying to do something else. When God gives us a very clear structure in God's word about the husband, the wife, and the children, and, and see, a different role, this is where we get messed up, a different role doesn't mean that you're less than. It doesn't mean that you're less valuable. It doesn't mean that you're less smart. It doesn't mean that you're less important. No, if you have a role from God, it may be different than somebody else, but it's just as important. It's just as valuable to God. Wives, you're not commanded, to, by the way, just to reverence or submit to your husband um, if he's perfect and ever sins. Because if that's the case, there would be no wives submitting to any husbands. We're not perfect. We know that. Headship is not dependent on perfection. No, when you embrace your role in a family, you're not saying, well, you know, you're perfect and I'm not, so I have to submit. No, you're saying, I just have a different role. I'm no less valuable. I just have a different role to play. You just embrace that role. Listen, the same is true in a church. By the way, this church is not perfect. And the closer you get to it, the more apparent it becomes. We all have a role to fulfill. My role is to preach and to pray. That's my primary role. As an under-shepherd, I, I guide where it's needed. I try to love and, and try to give support and help when it's needed. It doesn't simply imply that I have a higher value. I'm simply submitting to the role that Jesus Christ put into place in a local church. God set up the structure, just like he does in a family. In a family, it's Jesus and who the husband follows and loves. In a family, it's, it's the husband who the wife follows and loves. In a family, it's children who follow and love their parents. That's the structure. The church has a structure as well. And by the way, the leader of Eastside Baptist Church is not Jason Jett. The leader of Eastside Baptist Church is Jesus Christ. He is our head. He's our shepherd, our chief shepherd. And I would never presume to think that I can lead like he does or do as good of a job as being the chief shepherd. I'm simply submitting to the role that he put me in, the role that you asked me to be a part of and come in and do. And it is your responsibility. This is the hard part. It is your responsibility then to submit to that role. The Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them which have, that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So uh, listen, the role that I have as pastor is not to help me take a step to something greater. It's to help you live a profitable life. So that when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, you are as prepared as possible. 
I don't have more value because I'm called the pastor. It's a matter of me submitting to God's structure of authority, just like you submitting to God's structure of authority. And by the way, those verses point very clearly to church membership. First, if there's no biblical requirement to belong to a local church, then which leaders are you as a Christian supposed to obey and submit to? Oh, God has somebody in your life that is supposed to be that in that structure of authority in your life. The second, this one's personal for me, who, if there's no requirement for local church membership, then who do I as a pastor give account for? I mean, will I give account um, for the, the Lutheran church down the road at 57th and Highway 11? I mean, is, is it just open-ended? If it is, I kind of want out of this. I, I can't do that. That's way too big for this guy. You know, so if you read Hebrews 13, 17, you, it, comes, it becomes very clear that God has a desire for you to attach yourself to a local church because he says there are those that God requires for you to answer to and obey to and submit to because they look for your souls. And it also then implies that I would have folks that are under my, my care and my attention and my guidance that I will answer for. Obedience to the role of a pastor is not saying you're smarter than me, you're more important than me. I'm not. I was glad you didn't say amen to that. No, it's about remembering the fact that God created the role. And he put somebody in that role in your life that would watch for your soul. And it is unprofitable for you and me if you refuse to submit to the office of pastor. Listen, I don't like to bring this out. I mean, I sat in my office and I sweated this morning thinking about bringing these things up. You say, pastor, you always sweat. Well, yes, I'm nervous about it. Because I, I know how people can take it sometimes. I hope that you see in my spirit, it is not me claiming dominance today. It's me trying to submit to the role that God put me in, that you agreed to. And if I can be a help to you to prepare you for your biggest moment, which is the judgment seat of Christ, that's my highest calling. And... and uh, it's not a curse to have somebody looking out for you. I mean, if you don't like being guided or you don't like to be told something, listen, be thankful that somebody has a heart like that. Make yourself easy to lead. You know, not everybody can be easy to lead. Be responsive to shepherding. Understand that your pastor may say something to you at some point that's meant to help you for the judgment seat. And, and you have to trust that I'm doing my best to ascertain God's leading in my life to say the right things to you. Take it as such. There's only one person in your life that has this title in your life. So assume that God is doing his best to help you through this person. Communicate that you desire to be shepherded. You know, I'm telling you, it's a whole lot easier when somebody says, Pastor, I give you permission. If you see anything, tell me. And by the way, if you say that, mean it. Because I've had people say that and I try to say something or feel led to say something and they get defensive and, and that's not the permission they gave me. They said, whatever, pastor, just tell me. Uh, put, put yourself, third, put yourself in a position to be shepherded. In other words, if you want to be shepherded, be present. It's amazing and this has happened, I mean, even recently with folks. It's like, 
you know, if I don't see somebody at church for, for months at a time, you know, all I can do, all I can do as the pastor is focus, really focus on who's here. I'll do my best to reach out to the ones that aren't here. But, but I mean, this is, there's a lot of folks. And at some point I have to say, I'm going to focus on the ones that are here. Don't be offended by that. If you want a pastor, be here. And if you, if you want a pastor, reach out. I, I've never denied somebody that calls and says, hey, can we get some time? Um, if you want a pastor, be present, be engaged. You know, make it obvious that you're looking for some help or that you're, you're not defensive. Don't be defensive. Assume that there's some truth and that you can take away from every interaction. And not only that, and this is a big one that's on my heart, give the benefit of the doubt. I mean, assume that my heart for you is right and I want what's best for you. Because it seems like sometimes there are, it's easy to assume everybody else's intentions are wrong and yours are right. Give the same benefit of the doubt to me that you'd want somebody to give to you. You know, there's a benefit to headship. We don't see it in our culture. People don't like it. They don't like to submit to something, but you have a benefit if you submit to the pastor in your life. He is preparing you for the judgment seat of Christ and submit to that. Okay, that one's done. All right, healthy family enjoys a headship. Number two, a healthy family enjoys fellowship. This one's more fun. Think about all the ways that first church was interacting. They were fellowshipping. That word is, means community. It means communication. It means participation. They were together. They shared time. They shared conversations. They, were, they shared life together. We share a bond in Jesus Christ. We, we share the same teaching. We share a love for Christ. We share the good. We also, at times, we share the bad. We share the struggles. We share the victories. We share. That's what fellowship means. They were breaking bread in verse 42. That means it could mean common meals or it could be the Lord's Supper. Either way, we know they shared time in those activities. They shared time in prayers. It says at the end of verse 42, they sought the Lord together. I don't know that there's anything sweeter in fellowship than praying with somebody. And this morning, I looked out. I bet we, I imagine, I don't bet. I imagine we had 50 guys here this morning for men's prayer meeting. I mean, we had a full group of guys here right in the middle section and we had prayer request time. We split up, spread out over the sanctuary. We prayed and then we had bacon. <laughs> you say, that's why people come. Well, hey, you get them here, you need to get them here. No, but we pray. If we didn't have ba bacon and breakfast, we'd still come together and pray. It's not about bacon. Man, that's hard to say. It's not about bacon though. <laughs> no, we prayed and it was sweet. I love to hear the low, like early morning voice, men's voices rumbling in prayer. You hear it all over the sanctuary. It's sweet. There's something about fellowship and prayer. That's what they were doing, this church, this family. It says in verse 46, they were daily with one accord. You know what it means? That they lived life together. They were in house to house, it says. It was personal fellowship. It wasn't just at church. They were together outside of church. Listen, fellowship is not just sharing a meal. Fellowship is sharing life. And healthy families share life. Healthy families do things together. 
Healthy families go places together. They live together. They go on vacation together. They go to ball games together. Sometimes I'll just be like, oh, man, I need to go to Menards. Anybody want to go? And a couple of the kids are like, yeah, we'll go. And usually it's Jace because he's like, let's get away from the girls, you know. And like, yeah. But, you know, that's what you do. Last night, um, our in-laws are in town. Aaron's family's still here. Blessing to have him here. And, you know, they, we have special things in South Dakota they don't get in California, like shields. They don't have shields out there. And so we're like, all right, who wants to go to shields? It didn't take long. We had a van full of people headed to shields last night. That's what families do. And, and by the way, if you've got a family, this person's over here doing their thing. This person's over here doing their thing. Do some things to bring your family together. If it's a meal time, whatever it takes, that's what families do. And these folks, when Jesus Christ brought them together into the family, they shared life together. They lived together. They did things together. Most of them had been ostracized from their families. And they didn't have a blood family relatives that were close anymore. And I'm thankful. I mean, some of you might even say this. You say, well, I, I have, I've got family but honestly, when I come to Eastside Baptist Church, this is more like my real family than my blood family. Because there's a, a closeness and a, a bond in Jesus Christ that you may not have with your family. So when you join a church, you get a family. When I was little, my sister and I, we, we tended to fight like crazy. But we were also only 14 months apart. And so we often went to the same school. She was a grade or two ahead of me. But I'm telling you, though, if I ever heard of anybody saying something about her or messing with her, I had her back. Even more importantly, she had my back because she's a better fighter. So I learned that early. You know, a healthy family fellowships together when times are good. They stand together when times are bad. Can you imagine not having the support of your local church family when things are bad, when things are hard? I mean, some of you, your family doesn't live here. You're here by yourself. Can you imagine? I just look around the room, and I'm not going to point these out, but some of the struggles and trials and, and just disappointments and hardships that families in this room right now have been through in the last year or two. And it, can you imagine doing it all by yourself? I mean, to have a church family that helps and supports you in those moments, listen, I'm telling you, you don't realize how important fellowship is until you are at the very bottom. And you realize how much you need it. Few things are more encouraging than knowing you have people in your corner. Not just when you're right. There are going to be times when you're not right and they love you enough to tell you. That's part of fellowship and family too. You know, there's plenty of times with our kids when they're not thinking right about something. And we, we don't just let it go. We tell them. Why? Because we're mean. And we want them to be miserable their whole life. No, here's why. Because we love them enough to say something. Because if nobody tells them, that'll be an issue their whole life. Until somebody that doesn't love them comes out and tells them. And it doesn't feel the same at that point. So when you need to change, when your thinking isn't right, that's part of a family. That somebody speaks the truth and love to you. That's living life together. You get, listen, a healthy family is headship. A healthy family has fellowship. And finally, a healthy family has partnership. Look at verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. It wasn't just about being together. They were meeting needs together. They had all things common. The church family helped each other. It was needed 
Partnership means we help when our family is need, has needs. And many of you have been helped by people in the church. If you're moving, if, you're, if, you, if you need help doing something, I mean, you, you've got people that you can call. People that can help you. That's what family does. I mean, I read, and this is a, a real store, news story. 2017, there was a man in Burma, and he had two immobile parents that were just frail and, and elderly, and, and they had these death squads that were going through Burma. And this man um, made a pole with two baskets on either side, set his mom in one side, his dad in the other side, put the pole across his shoulders, and walked 100 miles. Took him seven days to go to, from Burma to Bangladesh because he loved his parents enough to save their lives. Had no other option to get them out of danger. And you say, well, no, that's just crazy. No, that's family. That's what family does. See, it, it, you isolating yourself is not just you taking a step back and having more time to yourself. No, isolating yourself or not getting committed into a church family setting is you saying, I don't need help when I'm at the very bottom. I can do this on my own. Well, have you ever been to the very bottom? When you've been to the bottom, then you know you can't do it on your own. You're not meant to do it on your own. God puts you in a position to have a church family because he knows there will be times where you're in over your head and you need somebody to lift you up on their shoulders and walk some miles to help you to, to meet your needs. That's partnership, is that you sacrifice to help somebody else and when you have a need, they, they sacrifice to help you. That's what families do. Life can be hard and it can feel too big. You need support. You need partnership. You can't get that online or through a screen. No, you need a family. Face-to-face -face relationships that you don't have to figure life out on your own. When you need help, you know who to call. And you turn not to the, uh, the internet or Google to help you fix your problems. No, you turn to a person. And not just a person random. You turn to a person that loves you. God gave you the opportunity to join a local church family to help you when you need it the most. And let me just remind you why all of this is possible. It's because of Jesus Christ. I mean, we just got done reading. I just got done telling you about Peter's message about Jesus over and over. This whole book, this whole chapter, chapter 2 is about Jesus Christ. Then they that gladly, once they heard the preaching, they that gladly received his word. See, Peter had just preached Jesus. Let me just tell you this. You can't enjoy the family relationship until you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. See, there were people at Pentecost. I know this has got to be true. There were people at Pentecost among those thousands that heard the message of Jesus and said, yeah, not today. And they walked away. And in doing that, you know what they were doing? They were saying, I don't need family. I'm going to do this on my own. So only the ones who submitted to Jesus Christ got the benefits of family. And let me just tell you this today. If you've come in here this morning, pay, pay close attention right now. If you've come in here this morning and you don't know what happens to you when you die, let me give you a rundown. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. No, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. 
That means that every person who's ever walked on planet Earth is a sinner. And if you don't do something about your sin, the wages of sin is death, which means that you'll die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. That's what the Bible says. And if you try to figure that out on your own, you can't. There's no way that you could overcome your sin on your own. It's gravity. It's like gravity. You can't jump to the top of this building. You can't get to heaven without Jesus Christ. And, you say, and, and so we, we deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And you say, well, that's not great news. It's not great news. It's actually terrible news. But the great news comes in Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that he went to the cross and he died in your place for your sins. And you came in here this morning wondering what happens with my sin. What am I going to do? Jesus already paid the penalty. All you have to do is by faith receive Jesus Christ as your savior. And, and place your faith in Jesus today. And you can go to heaven. Listen, your sins can be forgiven. You don't have to wonder the rest of your life what happens to you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you must do it today. Listen, there's an urgency because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And today I would encourage you when we have our invitation, say, you know what? I need to be saved. I want to place my faith in Jesus. I don't want to leave this place without knowing. I'm telling you, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make. Listen, and until you are willing to submit to that, the, the, to the word of God and the call of God to be saved, you'll never have a family that you can lean on. Not like the Bible talks about. But to the other, those in here who may be saved today, uh, why aren't you plugged into the family? Because Jesus died to give you salvation but he also died so you could be part of a local church and grow the way that you're supposed to. So why not? So I, to the way I see it, there, there are two kinds of people here. There are those who've never been saved. You need to be saved today. But there are those who need to take some steps in plugging in, being committed to their local church family. Jesus died for both of those things. He died for your salvation, but he also died to give you the privilege of a church family. Both of those need to be responded to this morning. And you say, well, I'm part of the church family. I'm plugged in. When's the last time you just stopped and said, God, thank you for the family you gave me. The church family points to Christ. Don't ignore what he made possible. His death makes salvation possible. His death makes a church family possible. And as a church family, here's what you get to enjoy. You get headship, you get fellowship, and you get partnership. Listen, those are invaluable life helps. And for us to think we can get by without it, well, we don't know. We're, we need to gather. We need the preaching. We need the fellowship. We need the smiles. We need the laughs. We need the worship. We need the serious times. We need to serve other people. We need to give. We need to pray for one another. There are times we need our toes stepped on. We need Christ. And there's no place where he should be found more easily than in a church family. So do you know that you're saved? If not, why not? Because today's the day of salvation.
But second, are you taking advantage of Christ's gift of a church family? If not, why not? Because he died for this too. Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed.